Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. As we gather this day, the church, uh, we celebrate the solemnity of the Most Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God. And uh, before Vatican II, this day was often celebrated under the title of the Circumcision of the Lord. We get a little squeamish, as I said yesterday, uh, with that title. But we remember that on the eighth day that Jewish uh, boys were entered into the covenant uh, through uh, that uh, act of circumcision. Uh, an act that, of course, drew blood, and uh, with our Lord, it would have shown him as completely human as, as he would have bled. Uh, and uh, the child was given formally their name, although they had been given perhaps a name beforehand or, or whatever, but formally uh, in that sacred act. Of course, it's a bar mitzvah at age 13 when they're formally entered into that covenant, but this is a beginning. So as, as we just heard in our second reading, uh, St. Paul speaking rightly that he was born under the law. As we heard yesterday, he was presented in the temple and redeemed from the Lord and all those things. But the church, again, in her wisdom, has given us uh, another item to meditate on, and it is the role of Mary as mother of God. And for history, kind of a history lesson, for the first 300-some years of the church, uh, with persecution and uh, trying to just simply understand uh, what it means to live this faith out, there wasn't a whole lot of time to ask certain questions, although they were being asked, but to come to some understanding of it. As uh, so often the case when you're defending your life or when you have to work for your life, you don't have a whole lot of time for theology or philosophy. Uh, certainly you don't have a whole lot of time in writing and reading and, and leisure. Uh, perhaps remember that when we get to the Magi this weekend. But after the uh, Edict of Milan and, and Constantine uh, brought peace, and at least uh, there was not the empire-wide persecutions that we had seen in the first 200, 300 years of the church, the church began to ask certain questions. How is Jesus God? How is Jesus the second person of the Trinity? How, how, is, uh, how is the Trinity itself? Uh, three, and they began to enunciate uh, three persons, that uh, Jesus Christ was incarnate and all those things. And the following question then became, well, if Jesus is the second person of, of the Trinity, if Jesus is the Son of God, who is Mary? And how do we properly address her? Uh, there was a particular heretic, Nestorius, who said, well, we can only call Mary the Christ-bearer. She didn't really give birth to God, but gave birth to Christ. Uh, there is some element of adoptionism in, in his, his theology that Jesus was adopted as the Son of God and made the Son of God, all those things. And uh, the Church Orthodox rejected that. And in the Council of Ephesus in 431, the, the Council declared that it was appropriate to call Mary the Theotokos, the God-bearer. And even in uh, yet today, though, we have people that well, we shouldn't call her the mother of God. And I think it comes down, uh, modern uh, understanding, it comes down to a misunderstanding of what it means to be mother. As much as uh, our mothers are important for us, our mothers did not give us existence. God did. And they allowed that existence to be made in us, made in them, and, and that we were uh, weaved together in our mother's wombs, as uh, Psalm 139 tells us, that we were brought together and held together and that we were given birth. But our mothers did not give us existence, nor did Mary give existence to God. 
I think when people reject the title of Mary, Mother of God, that's what they're thinking, that she somehow gave existence to God. No, wrong. But she bore God with love beyond all telling, as one of her prefaces tells us. She bore God in her womb, and she gave birth. Because if she is not the mother of God, then Jesus is not God. And if Jesus is not God, how can we Savior? And if he's not Savior, we're all doomed. It's just that simple. We could say it a little bit more even crass. We're, we're the worst of all people because we're, we're believing in this false hope. But if Jesus is the Savior, if Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, if Mary really, really did give birth to him as the Son of God, as one divine person with the two natures of human and divine, then it is more than appropriate to call her Mother of God. And using such language is not an abuse. It's not saying that uh, uh, scandalous or that somehow we're worshiping Mary or whatever, whatever else we're accused of, but rather it's recognizing her unique role. And she had a very unique role. No other woman on the, in, the, in the world, in the history of the world, can say she bore God. Now, all of us, in a way, can say we bear God uh, home with us through the Eucharist and, and through the presence of God. But Mary, in a unique way, bore him in her womb and gave him birth, gave him life, and helps us. And there's that wonderful quote by St. Maximilian Kolbe, who reminds us, not to be afraid to love, that we can love Mary too much because we cannot love her more than her son did. Her son, of course, the son of God. And Mary herself tells us in her Magnificat, all generations will call me blessed. Well, we're one of those generations and we need to call her blessed. Or St. Elizabeth herself at the, uh, the visitation cries out, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I'll be a broken record until the end of my life on, on this, but there's only, only three ways of understanding that word that's translated as Lord in that passage. One is, who am I that the, master of my, the, the mother of my master should come to me? That doesn't make sense. Who am I that the mother of my husband should come to me? That certainly doesn't make sense. The other, only other explanation is, who am I that the mother of my God should come to me? Elizabeth recognizes at maybe two weeks, our Lord incarnate in the womb of the Blessed Mother, two weeks, that standing before her is the Mother of God. It's biblical. And it's even more so. As important as it is that this title is, we have to remember that it really was defined as a way of understanding who is Jesus. The Council of Nicaea and the Council of uh, Ephesus and, and uh, the other councils help us declare what we believe, and we're going to proclaim that in, in a little bit. The Council of Nicaea uh, coming and uh, developing the creed, being polished up in Constantinople, and then uh, being reaffirmed in Ephesus time and again and again that Jesus Christ is begotten, not made, one being with the Father, consubstantial with, of the same substance of the Father that he's given birth, takes flesh, really bleeds, really suffers, really, at the end, dies to be raised again 
And through this, we have hope. One thing I failed to mention at the other Mass this morning, but, but I will mention it now. The same Lord that was incarnate in our, Lord, in our Blessed Mother, the same Lord that was worshipped by the shepherds, that was honored and worshipped by the wise men who came, the same Lord that was placed in the arms of the Blessed Mother, held in the arms of St. Joseph, the same Lord that over and over and time again was worshipped and adored by Simeon or Anna, as we heard yesterday, the same Lord is present this day in this Eucharist. Certainly not uh, in a visible way that we can see and fully understand, but in mystery in the sacrament, he is fully present. And perhaps with his blessed mother, to keep all these things, reflecting on them in our hearts. That's what the early church did, even though it didn't have time to, uh, her members didn't have time to fully define and articulate what all this meant. But since redefining and defining who is Jesus, and if Jesus is the Son of God, who is the Blessed Mother? And if she really gave birth to the divine person of God, she is the Mother of God. And we ought to honor her as such because she's not only Mother of God, but she is also our Mother, Mother of the Church.